And so, um, from from what you're telling me, you're beginning to put in uh, the right effort, and you are beginning to get some results from it. Is that correct to say? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. All right. So. Uh, Going in that direction, we need to sort of uh, go over again and deepen the understanding of the practice, perhaps by taking different points of view in it. And in fact, that's that's a way of, of uh, speaking about it, that, that everything kind of fits together. And when, when it does for the student, then they began to say, ah, okay, now I know what's going on, mm -hmm. all right? Um, and so I still see that little bit of doubt in your mind. About that what? You have, that you haven't come fully to, um, uh, to get it yet. So yeah. we're going to cover it a little bit more. Uh, though you're going in the right direction. Um, going back to the Eightfold Noble Path, we have to begin to understand about what one's right view is. Now, in the beginning, the right view was is that, oh, I can see enough of what's going on and know that I can get out of it, and so I get into meditation and that kind of stuff. But as we practice, we want to sort of, um, let us say, uh, refine that ability to have the noble view of being able to see things at a, at a kind of a higher level. Now, in, in that regard, that means that we begin to see things not from the perspective that we have had for many years, but we begin to take a new perspective of things. The one's right view begins to see things in a new way. And when I use the word perspective, I'm actually pointing in the direction of what we refer to as perception. That, uh, and perception is that system that we use to make sense out of what we actually see. The real world we don't really live in. We live in a perceived world. Uh, that, that we take something from the site itself and process it. And part of that processing is stuff that comes out of our past. And that with the practice of the Dhamma, the whole idea is, is let's start using newer data to process this present moment. Stuff that's really more real. An example of that is let's process it with Dhamma rather than process it through what happened to us when we were children. So, is that kind of take a new attitude? Go ahead. Is that kind of the feeling? Okay, it's like so there will be like a physical sensation, and then that seems to follow like I hesitate to say, but like kind of a constriction where it feels like my mind's starting to kind of process that physical sensation, like it's um and it, it's it's like almost a copycat of like whatever physical like sensation it is. So like maybe if I'm hearing something. Um, like happening in the world, then I would hear that there'd be some processing and then there would be like an internal hearing of it almost. 
that also has like a bunch of other stuff blended into it. Right. And at its highest level, we can see then uh, that we would call it two different kinds of consciousness. One kind of consciousness is the consciousness of the eye and the object and the, just to see the seeing itself. But we also use language differently in the sense of rather than I see the tree or even what I actually see is not tree yet. I've had to do some processing to get it into the form of a tree that I can tell you it's a tree. But there's a higher level of processing that comes in with a kind of seeing that means, oh, I see what you mean or I understand. Now, the funny thing about understand, what does that mean? I, I would think it would be, oh, I overstand now because I'm standing over it rather than being caught in it. But in, in any case, the whole quality of one's right view then is to taking a higher view so that we can begin to make new choices. And one of the choices that we're going to start making is a choice about how we perceive things. Okay. Can I close okay. my windows real quick? I don't want to disturb my neighbors. I'm sorry. I forgot. You want to do what? Uh, can I close my windows real quick? It'll, it'll just take a okay. second. Australia time this week so it's it's a little noisy here I don't have any control over the men, men out there doing their job oh it's fine I was just worried about my neighbors and talking too loud okay so we were talking about right view yes and we're talking about how right view then by being able to change our views of things we begin to change the way we perceive things that our perception begins to change mm -hmm. and that part of the way that we would look at that is is that we no longer see the things the way that we saw them before our practice of meditation the ordinary life now we're beginning to perceive and practice things at a higher or a different level and so uh, part of that then has the quality of coming then out of our world view or world stance and normally the worldview or the world stance is also who am I or my personality. And a big aspect of what the, of the teaching of the Buddha is, is to change our attitude based upon view, to change our attitude about who we think we are. And an example of that would be, I need help. Another example would be, I'm angry. But in a more Dhamma language, we would say, no, there is anger, but you are not the anger. So you cannot say, I am angry. You can say, uh, there is anger. So we're kind of implying there's a, the anger exists, but it's not us. It's not me. Yeah, it's not me. There's like a, there's some sort of like, um, 
observer involved? I don't know. Is that the yes, right word? you become more of an observer. This is what we could call mindfulness. Mindfulness means to become the observer, to start watching what's going on. And uh, a major quality of that then is, is that we become disassociated from that which we used to perceive as me. And now we don't perceive it as me anymore, especially since this new observer can start off with a clean slate, basically every time, to where the old self had a lot of baggage that we carried around, and that baggage was all of our ideas and our beliefs and all of our feelings and the, and the method and manner with which we spoke. So we talked about the sense doors last time, the six sense sense. I'm sorry, the six sense doors last time. Right. And so it's kind of from what you're saying now. It seems like there's a okay. So there's a certain like right view that we want to adopt, where there's is it where there's like some distance between us and the sense doors. So like actually, one of the ways of looking at that is is that I am not that six sense door. I am not that mind that burns and spins. Okay, so is it that as like people and living in society, we generally get wrapped up in the sense door of the mind? Um, yes. And we don't get our wrapped up in like the other sense doors, like I don't know, touch or like sight or something to the same Well, I'm level. not sure that that's true. Okay. But because you have certain kinds of people that would be artists that really get wrapped up in visual art and That's artistry. True. There are yeah. people who really get wrapped up in the sound in the sense of uh, electronic remanufacturing of sound as opposed to uh, musicians. In other words, there's audio engineers, but boy, are they really into listening very closely and they really like it. They're the ones that want to take the hiss out of the records and all of that kind of stuff. So it can be our relationship with any of those, like our view towards Martial any of those. Martial artists are really into the body. Dancers are really into the body. Okay, great. And so, so, they then, so they then strongly identify with that sense. Mm -hmm. But most but people are mostly in the mind, and so they identify with who I am is based upon what I think and what I remember and how I feel and that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah, so it, it kind of comes down to the view part that you're talking about. Like it's our view towards those things and we're trying to build some, we're trying to dissociate a little bit our sense of self from that. Right, exactly. And so the word that I use, view, is kind of a weak word. Uh, but that's the word that we're kind of stuck with, with the English translation of uh, the, the actual Pali word is ditti. And uh, uh, right view is sama ditti. There's, by the way, a major, almost humorous uh, curiosity in the Majjhima Nikaya, and that is sutta number nine, and the name of the sutta is sama ditti, and you would expect them to talk about right view in the sense of the Eightfold Noble Path, but that whole sutta is devoted to one thing and one thing only, and that is Paticca Samuppada. And so then the cause... Pardon? You said Samuppada? Yeah, Paticca Samuppada. The, uh, the, uh, the sequence called dependent origination. 
the way that I talk about it is the way the mind works. Okay, that you do this with this and then that happens and then you do this and it's like dominoes falling down. And at, a, at one particular point, feelings arise. And at that point, if those feelings are ignorant, then we will act ignorantly, like we've always done, which means by habit. In this regard, ignorantly would mean by habit, and wisely would mean by no, we have now control over it, and we do not have to follow the habit. Okay, and by um, dependent origination, that's kind of like um, you have one thought, and then that leads to like two or three thoughts, and so on and so on. Like it almost sounds like there has to be some like base, some like single pointedness down at the bottom. Well, okay, yes, let's say that, but you're looking at it from a long-term process to where the real teaching of Samuppada is the entire sequence of Samuppada happens within that one thought. The whole sequence, okay, how, could you explain that, please? Uh, or if it's, if, sorry, if it's too much. say eventually so. I will. Yeah. Okay, sorry, yeah, that's fine. Yes, eventually we will. Let's get back, in fact, to, to what we're... When I talk about perception, in fact, I am actually talking about Paticca Samukata. Mm -hmm. Because consciousness of the eye then will give us perception to where we're trying to figure out what it is that we see. So the process of figuring out what it is that we see is called perception, and sometimes we get stuck into perception because we can't figure out what it is that we're looking at. Yeah, so perception. A lot of visual art is about that. A lot of visual art has to do with tricking the observer into becoming confused about what they are seeing. There's a whole. I mean, Escher. That's Escher. <laughs> that's whole. That's Escher's whole life. Yeah. True. Yeah, it's like, um, it's really malleable among people, like there's different ways of looking at one particular thing. It's like, you need to look at the same painting and have wildly different feelings about it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Having wildly different feelings about it, because people uh, either like or don't like their perception being messed with. Mm -hmm. The stairs that start off correct are not supposed to wind up being upside down by the time they reach the next floor. Oh, that that's actually, I forgot who Escher was. I was thinking like Pollock or something. But yeah, like the, uh -huh. you know, the stairways that go to the wrong place. Yeah. Right. And and, and Salvador Dali with his uh, melting clocks. Yeah. Showing that time is an illusion also. All right. So visual art <clears throat> is pointing in that direction that our perceptions are actually quite malleable and that it depends upon opening our views so that we can get a new perception of things. And the reason I'm kind of harping on this is because that right view, working with it in the right direction, winds up giving us right attitude, which is also the in fact, right attitude and right view work so close together that it, they're listed one after another in almost every list of the Eightfold Noble Path. Mm -hmm. But the Buddha talks about in order to develop right attitude, we need to add right sati and right effort, because it is going to take some effort to change our attitude and our worldview about things.
-hmm. And we could say that that attitude change is basically an attitude change between from being a loser into being a winner. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, how much meditation does it take to do that? To change one's position, to change one's uh, uh, worldview from being a loser into being a winner. How long? How much meditation time does that take? Yes. Zero. <clears throat> right. You're getting really, really close. Maybe within a second or so. Yeah. Oh, I guess there's some time, but yeah. So, um, that's right. As soon as you have that, as soon as you recognize you have that choice. We can change that whole attitude. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, okay. it does. It does seem like the you know our view, our perception of something, we uh-huh. like have control over when we admit it. Like you know, it's hard for me to change my view when I say this is a hard thing to do, but it's easy when I'm saying like, well, you know, maybe it's not hard. And then, yeah, maybe it's not hard. Maybe the reason that we say it's hard is because, number one, I have doubt that I can do it. Okay. But that's actually part of the change of attitude from I doubt I can do it into yes, I can do it. Yeah, I mean, that. it seems like when I sit down to meditate, that seems like a huge factor is like, um, you know, whether or not I feel like a lion or like if I feel like this meditation is going to be hard. Okay. Well... Uh, that feeling like this meditation is going to be hard is exactly what I'm looking for when we talk about the perception of uh, the normal frame of reference that humans take on is the, the position of being one down, or, or, or this is hard work, mm-hmm. or I'll try, or all of that kind of language that we use, because... Um, basically because of the doubt that we have about whether we're up to the task or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in fact, doubt is a major, major part of the teaching of the Buddha, where um, uh, Christianity tries to brush it aside. They try to say, oh, you've got to have faith. But Buddhism has nothing to do with that. You don't have to have faith. And in fact, please, no faith allowed. Yeah. <laughs> that what we want is we want confident experience. You have the experience. You can see it for yourself and you know. And that so this is the way that we would proceed uh, is from that uh, gaining of the knowledge that you're okay. That you, do, you don't belong in that one down position. Mm-hmm. But we have... We, why then do you find everyone, basically everyone, let us say at least 99 point ever how many nines you want as a percentage after that, uh, humans are basically unhappy? Why do you think that's true? Well, one of the hints that we have is, is that little kids really enjoy their life. They're creative and they're um, uh, curious and they draw on walls and they have fun and they giggle with laughter and scream with glee and then the adults come in the room and things change Mm -hmm. okay and 
every time the adult comes in the room, the child has got to stop doing what he wants to do, gleefully playing and do what the adult tells him to do. Pretty soon, every little child grows his own adult inside of his own mind to tell him what to do. This is our attachments to rights, rules, and rituals. The Buddha talks all about it. It's got a, a phrase called Silabhata Paramasa. And in fact, this is the second fetter. The first fetter is, uh, who are we? Are the clinging to personality? But when we, uh, the, so the first fetter is, is to give up that personality view, which means, number one, I'm not who I thought I was. I can change. Uh, what's the difference between a fetter and a hindrance? The fetters are deep and they take a while to work with. The hindrance is what's going on right now in the mind oh, that's okay. preventing us from feeling good. Okay, that, that makes sense. So a hindrance is like when we say, aha, I see you, Mara, that's a hindrance. But fetters are like these kind of like. These are part of these perceptions or these world views that we're talking about. Embedded into right view, okay. Okay, this, the, the bottom of, of right view is to come to understand that our understanding of the world is fallacious. And part of the fallacy that we're making is, I thought I knew who I was, and people will then list uh, a list of jobs, they'll give you a resume to define who they are, right? A resume will never define who a person is. Yeah. So we do, in fact, whatever we write down and you take all the time you want and write down a complete list of everything about who you are and then one year later do that again and see if it's the same list. It's not gonna be the same list. Because people change but they don't want to know the change. They get attached to an idea about how things are, and in fact, that clinging to that idea is what slows them down from the changes, rapid changes, that they could be making in their life. Okay, and so, I mean, yeah, I guess this, this sort of knowing, that's like a thinking sort of knowing versus the knowing that we're going for is a wisdom. Right, exactly. And wisdom, wisdom doesn't a whole come lot more is direct looking at it, directly seeing, or directly observation to where uh, our perceptions then or these views are generally stored. That in fact, you could go so far as to say ultimately the most noble right view never takes any stored data. He's not drawing on any conclusions he makes, he just makes a new observation. That yeah. is, that Wisdom is the faculty of investigation. It's the investigation of state's enlightenment factor. That's what real one's right view is, is to look at what's really going on here rather than trying to draw what I think I know what this place is all about out of my old memory banks. Mm -hmm. So it's actually on, the, on a regular basis taking a good fresh look at what's really going on. Taking a good fresh look. And Okay, yeah, I guess like the, the question I, I would have would be like, okay, so if you're, if you're like just taking all the inputs in, like then we would have like one, okay, let's say we, and someone acting out of wisdom or like could still be having thoughts to help them like process whatever yeah, else is going to be. We want to have thoughts. There is no reason why anyone should go into a thoughtless state. 
and let us say that somehow or another you did, and then you come back into the thought state so that you can see and, and do and recognize you might wake up in the hospital or the ICU. You might wake up in the war morgue. Depends upon how uh, rigged out the people have gotten because you won't respond to them. Okay, so yeah, it's not about, you know, having zero thoughts at all because that'd be pretty problematic. It's more about the view, our relationship it's with those thoughts. It's more about being able to control your thoughts. So yes, you can have not the being... thoughts that are useful, worthwhile, fit the situation, rather than having the old kind of thoughts we had that are often problematic. Yeah, so like rather than saying like I am a software engineer or something like that, it, the thoughts would be like to help us. They wouldn't be like identity based, I guess. It would I'm be a like human. A, I'm a human. It'd be like true things. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the true things are, but yeah, like if you get to a point, you can understand yourself. Or if you want to get even higher and more global than that, I'm an animal. Yeah. So it's that sort of, that's the sort of knowledge, like it's the, the wisdom side of it, not just like thinking I'm an animal or like thinking I'm a uh, whatever. No, to recognize the reality of the situation and then we can uh, paste humorous labels on the fact that we're seeing something in a really broad context. Yes, gotcha. So this is the whole idea of one's right view is that when we broaden our context, we begin to see how much how clear it is that we in fact do have choices. We do have choices. And Bhikkhu Buddhadasa makes it pretty stark in the sense of you have the choice of either your old comma or to come out of it. Which is actually basically the teaching of the Buddha also, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, your choice. But in the context of what we're talking about, loser or winner, your choice. Okay, yeah, I mean, I guess like one thing that kind of gets to me is that it seems like a lot of people get to like the point with their practice and it seems like they just say that everything's deterministic, like it's everything just kind of like, I don't know, all the actions we take are kind of like predetermined but everything, is, everything is predetermined. Everything is predetermined. In the context of the personality. If you get stuck in a set of habits and you keep habiting your habit through life, then wherever those habits will take you, it's already determined because you're being driven by habit. An example of that, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Okay, but... There is a choice there, and we have the choice to like. That's what the real teachings of the Buddha is. That's the real wisdom. Is you've got a choice, mm -hmm. and that choice actually comes every instant or every moment. It's a moment by moment, every moment that comes by, every new now that comes by. You have that choice. So, okay, yeah. I mean, I don't want to sidetrack too far but like um so it seems like we have to okay so like we have the right view uh we also need to be able to like take the right effort um in between that like we need to have the like the energy to be able to like execute that effort okay and so you have to like cultivate like pd is that the energy the like a, 
lady decide to yes. step out? I'm, a, I'm actually about to get around to that very word. Okay. <laughs> but you're right. We do have to have that energy, and where that energy comes from is basically taking those long, deep breaths to energize the body which also cleans out the blood because the, uh, uh, the lungs, the exhale, is an enormous purification process also. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, the in and the out breathing is an important quality of Anapanasati. It also, uh, the interesting thing about it is, is that People who practice Anapanasati and say, oh, you just have to watch the breath, uh, is missing uh, uh, the plodding step of line by line by line. The Buddha is insisting that everything has to be tied to the breath. So that in the beginning, our understanding is that with every breath on the in-breath, we know that it's an in-breath. Mm-hmm. And that every outbreath, we know that it's an outbreath. This is actually points of sati. But then later into it, when we get into uh, gladdening the mind, which is actually a practice that we use and a skill to be developed, we do that while mindfully breathing in. So we glad, and it's stated like this: that we gladden the mind. We we practice or we develop the skill of gladdening the mind while we're mindfully breathing in, and then we uh, skillfully gladden the mind while we mindfully breathe out. It could not be more impacting than that, except that this is every one of the statements. So when we go to the statement of sukha, to develop sukha, we do that line by line that we mindfully, skillfully develop sukha while we mindfully breathe in. And then we develop sukha while we mindfully breathe out. So we develop Let sukha Let me give you a demonstration of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. As I breathe in, I can have thoughts like, because this is a thinking meditation, this is not comatose. Okay, this is not second jhana, we're developing first jhana right now, we really want to work with controlling that mind. And so we begin to have the kind of thoughts, intentionally so, of, oh, this is a really good moment. And as I breathe out, oh, this is relaxing. And as I breathe in, mm, what a wonderful moment. Oh, I like this. This is good. And as I breathe out, oh, wow, this is, I'm really glad. I mean, what a nice life this is. And then as I breathe in, these are the kind of thoughts that you will have to actually practice um, these, uh, not not this is both in fact gladdening the mind but at this level of it tying it deeply with the breath like that is also actually practicing feeling that way that you actually do feel like oh wow this is so nice thing yeah it's good to hear that that's okay to do <laughs> like I, thought, I think i played around with it but i didn't know that it was okay to be like oh like you know I'm feeling good. I'm like, I had a satisfying breath. It's like, ah, it's like, okay to, I didn't know it was uh-huh. okay to like, kind of 
So these are the kind of appropriate thoughts to have then, the appropriate kind of thoughts that we have, the kind of thoughts that help get us into these great states of satisfaction because we talk ourselves into it and we breathe our way into it and we relax our way into it. And so it naturally comes. And by the way, we also rid the mind of all of the crap that would keep us from being able to do this. Mm-hmm. Which is the key, because mostly our mind is so full of, of um, thoughts that we don't control, and they hinder us from being able to be in a, in a state of real freedom. Wow, this is so nice. Wow, I really like this. Okay. All right. So that's the, the sukha part, and that sukha has the quality of that when we're being able to do that, it, we, for instance, there's not going to be a robber at the door. There's not going to be a king cobra on the other side of the floor. Okay, this is a time when we begin to feel really safe, really secure. That this is a state of safety. Okay, so it's actually that part of the reason why uh, a meditation hall should be considered a safe place. It's because we go there to practice feeling safe in a place that we know with our wisdom is in fact safe. We may have, yeah, we may have thoughts that are like, I don't know, saying that we're unsafe, but there's the knowledge there that we're the real position, secure. Okay, our real view, our real knowledge, the right knowledge is, is that this is a safe place. So when we talk to ourselves about, oh wow, this really is a safe place, then we can get into the state of feeling like that it's safe also. We can literally talk ourselves through wisdom and knowledge and using the right kind of thought to talk ourselves into feeling safe, to feeling secure, to feeling satisfied. And that word satisfaction is is an important word. And by the way, all of this is in the Anapanasati Sutta, but a lot of people don't dig it out to find it. Oh, yeah, that, that's exactly what the Buddha is talking about. Mm-hmm. In the Pali, the word is idiopata. The word idiopata, the word idia actually is sometimes used in the sense of city. And it, in, in, in most regards like that, it means spiritual power like diving into the earth or uh, flying through the air or whatever like that. But these are ordinary real powers, and believe me, they are powers. If you can get yourself into a state that you feel satisfied, you feel powerful, you feel like a winner, you walk around living your life in the perception that you can handle anything, and everybody will recognize your power. That's why this is called power. Right? Yeah. Things I'm, what are not powerful, things that are not safe. What is not powerful, things that are insecure. What are not powerful are things that are not satisfactory. Yeah, right? I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the power that the Buddha is talking about uh, is, in fact, this sukha state that is mentioned, that get ourselves into that state to where we do feel powerful because we're a winner. We have that feeling of, of I can do this. 
that that's in fact where uh, right uh, view turns into right attitude. The attitude is no matter how obstructed the mind gets, no matter what kind of hindrances come along, I can throw that stuff out, come back to the present moment, and see the things the way they really are. Now that takes That's, a really strong attitude. Okay, yeah, and so by sitting and practicing, we're able to like practice knowing that we can toss, um, eat, toss, toss all the bad stuff out um, and remain in a state of satisfaction. We know we can go back to that state, and so then you like cultivate that PD, like that confidence that you can do it. Yes. Awesome. That makes but a lot of sense. And, and in a way, you have to talk yourself into it. You have to say for yourself, I can do this. This is a good day. Things are really better than I thought they were. You literally can talk yourself into giving yourself the kind of attitude and the kind of feelings that you want. You can sing songs to yourself. One of them would be zippity-doo-dah, zippity-a. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. Dang, that's, yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, we can use our thoughts to, I mean, and that makes sense, like, I've experienced that, like, you can talk yourself into, like, these states, especially if we're doing it, like, skillfully in, like, a, you know, in a controlled environment. Mm -hmm. And so it gives us a very pleasant feeling. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's part of the idea of the mantras is that it gives the mind something to do, something to think about, but it's actually something very pleasant, especially mantras like Om Namah Shivaya. Now, Om Namah Shivaya, actually the word Shiva, and Namah, and then the word Om. So it's, it's like praise to the name of, in the name of Shiva. And so if you're devoted to Shiva, then this is one that takes one into great ecstasy because they feel so very good about uh, sitting there and taking their deep breaths and and uh, uh, talking themselves into these very high states. Yeah, so the chanting for them would provide them with that kind of like... Um, but for you, Om Namah Shivaya doesn't mean a crap. Yeah. But for me, I would recommend in that case the, uh, the mantra Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. Coca-Cola, right, I had, actually what happened was is that I had a stomach ache and, the do and my mom took me to the doctor and he uh, prescribed Coca-Cola. That was the first time I'd ever had it. Oh, really? Wow. Oh, wow, was I rolling over the phone with the Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're prescribing that anymore. That's so funny. <laughs> well, I could do that. In fact, when I went on occasions when... Uh, Coca-Cola comes into the house and I have some, I always have that experience again with it, with all of the bubbles and the, uh, the coolness and the, ah. So, uh, this is the kind of thing that we're looking for that we can talk ourselves into the very, very best that we can create for ourselves. But in fact, this is part of why it's a skill to be developed, is this, this feeling of, I can do it, the feeling of success, the feeling that everything is satisfactory, that you've already done a good job, there's nothing left to do. So we get to a state of completeness or wholeness. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, I guess even if I say, like, um, I don't know, if I were to just say, like, I'm a happy person, like, before that, like, you kind of feel your brain doing the, like, I don't know, changing your view slightly to, like, be like, oh, yeah, like, I am a happy person. I mean, maybe there's, like, a better phrase, but it does feel like we can change our view. Or, and then we're kind of practicing that by being, like, you know, emphasizing... You're making it uh, needlessly more difficult than than necessary. Yeah. When you say I am a happy person, you begin to put that uh, uh, Salvador Dali stretching clock in there. Okay. A much better way to say it is happy. Yeah, right now. This is yes. good. Yeah, this that's yeah, true. See, you don't need all a, the extra and stuff. Now notice on top. how you feel. Just by making that distinction, rather than I am a happy person, that requires, in fact, that requires um, some sort of authority to, to, to uh, take it to court over and to get some sort of decision. But if you just okay. say happy or something. But like, I'm yeah. happy right now. And, there, and look at the change that you go through. Yeah, you have to feel it like a little bit. <laughs> like there's a second where your views changed at least thing that's really neat i hadn't thought about that it's like always everything i hear is like thoughts are bad we got to get the thoughts out of there but like i don't know there's like one of the sense doors i mean and like we're trying to change our perception we're not trying to you know get rid of anything at least right now when you have heard someone say thoughts are bad they're only hearing part of the story the answer is yes, some thoughts are bad and some thoughts are good, but no thoughts at all are is almost tragic. Yeah, I mean, I am simplifying. I don't want to disparage like all of, you know, meditation people. I, but yeah, I know some people that are thoughtless and I know how they vote. <laughs> no, we actually do want to use that cognitive fire that we have to make those connections, to look at what's going on, to connect the dots, to see how that stuff fits together. This is what the Buddha is really all about, is look at what you're doing. Wakey, wakey. <laughs> yeah, I think that's crazy. That, that's a really, I don't know, I feel like you really you put it together in a way where it's like starting to click a little bit better. Great. Well, that's what I want to leave you with, is that this stuff is clicking for you so that you recognize, in fact, that you can feel like a winner. That you don't have to go and practice three or four days or three or four years or three or four lifetimes. You can actually come to that within the next five to ten seconds. You can tell yourself in a convincing way by taking those deep breaths and getting the body energized and getting the hindrances out and we can say oh wow this really is nice i can do this now i can do it again i Dang can it. feel really yeah. good i can be in that third noble truth right now oh wow <laughs> this is freedom from suffering whoop de doo <laughs> Dang, yeah that's a really happy message <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah, I can't, wait to, I can't wait to think about that and continue practicing this week. Well, now, if you think about it, we have now just covered all of the factors, more or less, uh, we've covered them, uh, all of the factors of first jhana. Getting the hindrances out of the mind brings that satisfaction and joy, being able to control the mind then, 
uh, we are able to get ourselves into a state of of, um, of joy, a state of uh, success, a state of satisfaction. And if we continue to talk to ourselves to keep ourselves in that state, that by definition is first jhana. Yeah, I mean, well, so I was trying to do like TMI through the jhanas, and it like felt like a couple of days, like I couldn't do it repeatedly but yeah i get into like a state where like the happiness just kind of like grew itself like if you just let it be there and you noticed it and appreciated it like it would just kind of trickle outwards and like build and then like i just smile and laugh and just kind of like sit there for a while um well maybe maybe you can uh sort of keep it going perk it up well yeah i mean i could never do it like you know multiple days in a row but it does feel like that's the direction i'm going towards like Kind of following the things you're talking about like i don't know if that's john or whatever like i don't know if technically that counts but like yeah it's like the happiness is easier to build and like sustain like but yeah i don't know I mean, I just, it's it's interesting uh-huh. all right now there's a completely different statement just like the ones that we had picked on before this there these are two different statements one i can do jhana and number two is wow this is jhana <laughs> You see the difference? Because we don't know uh, yeah, if we there's can a... do jhana or not, but we do can recognize that these are the factors of jhana. I can keep the mind focused on staying in a good state. It's a, yeah, it's like a, it's not a thing to get. It's just a, it's just like a quality of like the, or it's like a culmination of having all the factors in the right place um, and just, and you recognize like, it, and you happens. can see it, and you can enjoy the fact that you know that you feel good and that you can continue to feel good, that you can keep the mind in this state for a short time. Dang it, yeah. I guess it just feels like the way you've been talking me through, like, Anapanasati is, like, it feels like a much more organic way to get there, as opposed to, like, I'm going to get the jhana, like, I've got to do steps one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's like, no, we're, like, gathering the factors, like, we're gathering like all the qualities of like headspace or um, existence or like being there for the to arise mm-hmm. naturally. Yeah, and so things work together like that. And then, in fact, we haven't even talked about all of the factors of uh, Anapanasati because some of them are all more uh, a little more advanced. But step number one and step number three, step number five, step number six, step number nine, step number ten. And step number 13, in the sense of seeing the hindrances and throw those out, it would be step 13 and 14. So we're basically doing just two out of, uh, or or half of each one of them to get started. The basics are to get the uh, the sati and the uh, the sukha, rather, and the piti, to get those factors in the process of development. So that then, that pity then becomes eventually the, uh, there's a point you could say when pity and sukha kind of come together to be the same thing. And then they use, then he uses the word pity. But when he's talking about pity only on its own, he's also including sukha with that. So that it becomes an enlightenment factor. And what that means is unremitting. It's an unremitting enlightenment factor, which means that you can bring it up anytime you think of it. That is unremitting. Here it comes. You just get it. It's just there for you. 
So yeah, it's crazy. Uh, just... But that that takes skilled effort over and over and over again to practice to bring that uh, uh, good feelings up. Uh, sorry, if you need to go, it's fine. Uh, I did. I just wanted to ask you, like, what is a noble? If you have a second, uh, like I know you brought up nobles in the past, like. I don't know. In our first conversations, I was the kind word of like thinking noble about actually and... comes from the Pali word is Aryan, and we do know what Hitler did with the word Aryan. Yeah. Okay. Let's not do that with what he did with Aryan because he made it race and more race and super race to where the Buddha took race out of it. So that noble is not how you were born, but noble is means how you are reborn or the noble is now the change of lineage, that you are no longer the ruffian that you were before, now you have been reborn in the noble tradition. And that noble tradition is the tradition of wisdom. So we live our lives according to wisdom rather than living our lives according to feelings. Okay, yeah, thanks for clarifying that. For some reason, when you first brought it up, I was like, nobles, like, is there some like hierarchy of monks or something like that, but it's no. really just like the character of their spirit, the, or not spirit, no. but like the... And, and in fact, the word noble is used in the sense of the Eightfold Noble Path because almost everyone practices an Eightfold Path, and the Eightfold Path is not the same as the Eightfold Noble Path. There's a big, big distinction, and I'll make that for you. Once the path becomes noble, then that means that the mind is noble. And once the mind is noble, then uh, one becomes really dedicated to the uh, to the Dhamma. That we okay. change our life from being a life of I'm a carpenter or I'm a bagger or whatever like that into Dhamma. <laughs> That's all there really is. Then it's the noble path, path. because yeah, we're path. acting out of wisdom as opposed to. Or, yeah, we're we're not acting out of like I am the carpenter, like I do these things, like I follow the eightfold path because of religion or whatnot. Right. I'm not following it because of religion or because it's a good idea. I follow it because I hate nothing else. Yeah, they, they <laughs> really know there's nothing else. Yeah. It's every it's it's the whole show. The Dhamma becomes a big it. Thing. Well, thanks every, for clarifying. Moment we're in Dhamma. Yeah. And that's the noble view. I'll get around to the Dhamma tomorrow. That's an ordinary view. Dhamma is an ordinary view? I'll get around to the Dhamma oh, tomorrow gotcha. is an ordinary view. This is Dhamma, is mm -hmm. a noble view. Always mm -hmm. this, right now. What's going on right here, right now? That's Not the past or future, right? what you think, yeah. No past, right. The people, the ordinary people live in the past and the future, wanting things they don't have, etc. But if you live in the present moment, that's noble because this present moment is quite wonderful. We don't want yeah. anything right now. Everything is hunky-dory. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, no, I've never seen a hunky-dory. I've seen some thin dories. <laughs> so I don't know where that phrase came from, but you know what I mean. Everything is just, in time they say, sabai, sabai. Hmm. Everything is satisfactory. Everything is satisfactory. Even with pain? Like physical pain? 
Well, physical pain is nothing but a sensation you don't like. Oh, okay. So it comes down to perception of that. My, that's how perceptive of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can even have the attitude. I can handle that. That pain is nothing. I'm a big, strong Dama dude, and that ant bite is not going to take over my mind and make me feel bad. Sure, if it's, if it's unwavering, if it's truly there, that yeah, you wouldn't suffer, or you wouldn't be dissatisfied with the current state of the pain. Are you, are you familiar with the movie The Holy Grail? Honey, yeah, Honey, I've seen it a couple times. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you remember the scene where the knight is guarding the bridge? Uh, the knight is guarding the bridge. Right, and they cut his arm oh. off. Never mind, he gets the, arm, the sword the other arm, and they cut that off, and then they cut one leg off, and then the other leg off, and there he is, a stump of a man saying, come back and fight like a man. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's the attitude. It don't matter what they cut the legs or the arms off or not. We're going to guard this bridge. That's PD. <laughs> that's 50, exactly. Or that's that attitude. That's that can-do attitude. Yeah, okay. I'll think about that when I meditate. <laughs> and then, in fact, that knife did not have hindrances. His missing arm was not a hindrance. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so, we'll leave it at that. Because um, you do have your arms and legs left, and you can, and, uh, you can still have that kind of attitude. The can-do attitude. I can do this. I can feel that good. Awesome. Well, thanks a ton. So go okay. try. Go practice. Go have yeah. fun. I'll try. Go I'll have some fun. your life. <laughs> we'll talk yeah. to you in a few days. Right. Bye. Have a good week. Okay. See you. Yeah.